Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, now, here we are again on another Monday night. This is Jody Birkin, your host and the founder of Man Up God's Way. And this is the Man Up Monday podcast. We want to welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. If you will, just take a moment to uh, share this with anyone on your Facebook feed, uh, your YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube page, and also you can get this podcast uh, later tonight and through the rest of the week and on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Podomatic is the one that we're on. We'd love for you to subscribe to. And you can listen to all of our episodes this year. We've got some great guests and some great conversations. We'd love to have you. Uh, ben, my co-host is here is with me as well. Glad you're here, buddy. How yeah, you doing? Glad to be here. Good. Excited as always. Did you have a good Easter weekend? I did. Awesome. I did. It was I a, had a, we had a great weekend. I didn't do a whole lot. Obviously, church, listen to you preach the gospel. Amen. Uh, you were on fire yesterday. I just want to give you a shout out. Thanks, brother. And uh, yeah, it was it was good. It, it was a good weekend. It felt good, man. It was one of those. Um, it started off really rough the week. I just I just couldn't get together. You know, and I was thinking too, a Christian should be able to share the resurrection story. Yes. You know, like without even thinking twice about it. And instead of thinking way too much more than I probably should have been. Um, I just thought about the story and how yeah. I could, you know, how I could tell it um, and read scripture, you know, to go along with it. It's not like it's really that hard to tell the story. Well, yeah, All you got to do is you, read scripture. You really just let the, 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 the story speak through the scripture. Right. And then you filled it and gave it a little bit of color. Yeah, it felt pretty good. Yeah, it felt it pretty good. Great. So, um, yeah, it was a good weekend. I was exhausted today. Like today was a really rough day. I ended up... Uh, I sat on the couch about three o'clock for a couple of hours. <laughs> Yesterday I took a nap though. I, I think it's the first time I've taken in probably a four hour nap in yeah. a long time. It felt good. Yeah. It felt good. So uh, we're really excited. We got a special guest here tonight. We'll introduce him here in just a second. But uh Fergosa, how you doing back there, brother? You hanging in there? All right. Oh, hold on, let me get you on there. You there? Uh, I am. Oh, here. sorry, dude. I had you <laughs> muted, man. I didn't want to hear from you. <laughs> that guess, sounds about right. Obviously. So you doing good, man? Yeah, all is good. I all got right. no complaints today. All right, I got another plug for you. Okay. Is that yeah, cool? Get it. All right, here we go. One of my favorite songs that you have here. For Goza, live. Uh, if you go to listen to his stuff, this is a song called Welcome Fear. We actually did a... Uh, we did a music video shoot for this, so uh, I think over 70,000 views uh, on all platforms. That's so, awesome, dude. Yeah, this one's powerful for sure. This one's good. This is one of my favorite. For everybody out there, this is not Adam Levine from Maroon 5. <laughs> it's spelled F-R-A-G-O-Z as in Zoo A. Yeah. This is a great song. The song is called Welcome Fear. That is for Goza. As always, man, I appreciate the love. Love it, dude. I love that song. We'll finish it up here. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. You can find that on Spotify, YouTube. You can get it on uh, for Goza 
Live.com? Uh, it's for Goza Music Official. For you, I'm still working okay. on getting yeah. that website. Yeah, won't you add a few more words to that website? Uh, there? Dude, yeah. I got a that guy who bought it when it slipped. He's gonna he's gonna make me pay a pretty penny for it. So oh, awesome. it's all gravy. Well, as usual, guys, the way that we pay for this podcast is our merch, manupmerch.com. We have our book here, Man Up, Becoming a Godly Man in an Ungodly World. You can get that on Amazon as well as Pursuit of a Godly Life, where our breakdown, Second Peter chapter one. 5 through 12, and talk about the characteristics. Each chapter is one of the characteristics or virtues that Peter talks about there. Our Man Up Coffee, amazing coffee. Matter of fact, I've got some coffee here today in my new coffee mug. You see my coffee mug there? And then uh, we got all just all kinds of stuff. So check out. we got T-shirts as well. Uh, Ben's got on one of them that comes from uh, the uh, manupmerch.com store. So uh, support us. We would appreciate it, and thank you so much. Well, I'm excited tonight. Uh, we've got a guest here today. Uh, David, you're going to have to pronounce your last name because I've ruined it all day long. So pronounce your name. It's Paterka. Paterka. Okay. Paterka. So David Paterka is here in the studios with us today. And uh, he came in on two wheels. And we're excited for him to be here today. We just met this week, as a matter of fact, through a mutual friend, Miss Corey, uh, one of my favorite people in all the world. And um, she sent me a a video i think it was of you in malawi is that correct yep and uh tell us a little bit of, about your story and then tell us a little bit about your mission and that you, the mission work that you do in malawi so let's go for that we just uh we'll start spitballing questions fantastic Does that sound good yeah uh the beginning of the ministry when the saints goes back to january of 2009 okay and uh, my church had actually entered into a three-week teaching on fasting, and I'd never heard a sermon on fasting before that. Okay. And uh, so two of my friends and I, we were very intrigued. They actually came up to me. They had the idea of wanting to try to fast for 21 days straight while we had this three-week series that we were learning about fasting. They wanted to put it into practice. I had fasted for three days once before, you know, right. thought I was going to wither up and die. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> so you, you felt like you had a halo on your head <laughs> after you were done, man. That was long. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, there's no way I can go 21 days. But, I mean, even if I go seven days, I would consider it an amazing success, you know. Right. So uh, the three of us entered into this fast somehow beyond human comprehension. We all three went 21 days, day and night, 24 hours a day without e taking a single bite of food. Just water. We did juices and teas. Yeah. Cheater. One of the guys. <laughs> yeah. One of the guys went to Smoothie King a few days. <laughs> He's suspect for that, sure. That's <laughs> called justification. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I was 21 years old at the time, 2009. Right. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And uh, I actually had this plan. I don't I don't know how serious I was about it, but I thought I would love to just volunteer, go on 10 different missions trips that would last a year each. You know, drill some wells, feed some orphans, like teach English. You know, all over the world. And at the end of 10 years, I'd look back over the, that ex those all those experiences, pick the one I liked the most, and then just do that for the rest of my life. Wow. And uh, it just kind of. I feel like I had some conviction where, you know, God is our creator and he knows us way better than we'll ever know ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, I don't know if it was someone that was speaking some wisdom into me, like, David, that's a horrible idea. Don't do that. Or if it was conviction from the Lord where I just, I felt like he was just kind of saying, you know, I'm your shepherd. You are my sheep. You can recognize my voice. You don't have to 
see your life as a jigsaw puzzle that you have to put together. I can actually communicate to you and, you know, kind of lead you into what it is that I've created for you, what I have in mind, the purpose that I have in mind for your life. And so uh, on the 18th day of this fast, I had planned, you know, to go to bed at 9 p.m. on the 21st night, wake up at 4 a.m. so I could finally start eating again. I'm reading through the book of Luke, and I get to chapter 5 and 6, and it says Jesus would often go to lonely places to pray. And then in chapter 6, it said the night before he chose, chose his 12 disciples, he stayed up the whole night and prayed. Right. Yeah, exactly. Most people don't realize <laughs> that. They think he just went out and just started choosing them. Right. And like, I love that story that he actually went out and prayed Absolutely. before that, before he chose those 12. And so I just felt a conviction. David, do you really want to do the easiest possible thing at the end of this time of 21 days you've committed to me? You know, just get out of the discomfort of being hungry as fast as possible so that you can say you made it 21 days, you know? And he was just like, what if you did the opposite and just stayed up all night in prayer with me? <laughs> you know? Wow. And so on the last night, I went, went down to my basement at 1130, stayed there till six in the morning. And essentially, I uh, just felt like I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, but I just felt like God was bringing to mind different times in my life that I had been learning about uh, the major injustice of human trafficking, sexual exploitation, and just felt like he had essentially said, I've created you for two things. One is to help girls who have been sexually abused or forced into prostitution, trafficked. And secondly, is to disciple and mentor men to help them walk in sexual integrity so you can see mm. a sustainable diminishing of this, uh, this form of exploitation in the world. So God told you not only to, to see the problem, but to fix the problem. Amen. No, that's good. That's really good. At so that time, was the night of the f last f night of the fast. And yeah. so you stayed up all night just praying. And uh, that's what you came out of that prayer. Yeah. And then I, you know, skipped the 10 years of doing something <laughs> each year for, you know, 10 years. And, and everything that I'm doing right now with my life, uh, I attribute to one night of prayer in January of 2009. Wow. Yeah. So just real quick, that came out of nowhere. And, and what I mean by that is what, what ha, was was on your list of 10 years sexual trafficking had you been watching the news and that seed was planted or you didn't have any idea that you were going to do anything about sexual traffic and the lord revealed it to you that night that's a great question i had heard uh some stories and uh you know heard a little bit about went to a conference where kind of human trafficking was the main um uh, topic called Urbana that for the first year in 2006 was in St. Louis at that time where previously had been in Illinois. So it was definitely something on my radar. Um, I had a lot of issues with fear and uh, pleasing uh, people. And I thought if I were to step into the human mm. trafficking, I just felt like that was above my head. That was too complex. And I just felt like there was more of a risk of failure. And so I thought I would maybe, you know, open up like an orphanage because that would be easier to find yeah. vulnerable kids. And so the Lord had to, through a question, if you knew, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% success, you know, that whatever you, it, you did uh, would be successful, what would you do? A friend of mine asked me that question. Mm. And uh, so it just kind of started to break this glass ceiling that uh, fear had, had built uh, right. over my head. Yeah. It's like, well, what I would do if I knew it was successful <laughs> would be this, but I'm terrified. I'm going to go try, fail, come back, and everyone's going to see me as a big failure. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's the scary part of ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, when God tells you to do something, especially if you're not equipped for it, you know, like, mm. where do you go? Where do you begin? Um, when I had 
when God gave me my calling for preaching, I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> there's no, there's no way. And, uh, I'll never forget the first time that I, I preached. Um, it was by pure luck. Well, I, I say luck. It was Providence, but, um, the pastor who had never missed a Sunday in his life was sick and sent me over his sermon notes and said, Hey, will you go preach for me? And, uh, the next thing I know, I'm up, you know, my very first words out of my mouth, I was like, well, hell just froze over because I'm <laughs> preaching. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a scary place to be is when God mm. tells you to do that. And mm. I have a theory. I, I believe that's why most Christians don't read their Bible, pray and fast like what you did, because when you do those things and you get close to God, God speaks mm -hmm. and you hear it perfectly. Mm. And that's that conviction sometimes most people can't handle. I, I think you're given, and, and I agree with you, yeah. but I think you're giving Christians too much credit. I don't think they even know the power of it. Well, no, they to, I'm to, saying you know they, I'm saying, but they yeah. won't get close to that exactly. power. You know, they, yeah. they won't get close to that power because it's comfortable doing what I'm doing right yeah. now. Mm. You know, to, to I mean, the, the world's a big place. Why Malawi? That's another great question. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> why all of a sudden, and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, St. Louis is is one of the, you know, number one. It's like the hub, you know, mm -hmm. between Chicago and New Orleans and, you know, the West Coast and the East Coast. It's almost like the perfect spot for transitions to happen for sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. Why Malawi? Like, how did you hear that? Yeah. So I had gotten a general studies associate's degree and then ended up taking a year and a half off from mm -hmm. school. Of David, I'm, I'm sorry for yep. interrupting you. I'm going to have you pull it up close. Okay. Clean people online. I don't want them to miss out on this. Yeah, awesome. that's good. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, get close to it. There, there you go. <laughs> there cool. you go. Perfect. Um, yeah, I took a year and a half off from college. And um, a good friend of mine had actually invited me to be a part of a documentary project that he was making, uh, which is called What Matters with a okay. question mark doing uh, research on the causes and solutions to extreme poverty. And uh, we ended up living on a dollar and 25 cents a day for four and a half months, hitchhiked across 15 countries across Europe through six countries in Africa. And during this time of taking a year and a half off from school, um, I was just, you know, wanting to try to figure out what is it that I'm going to do with my life, you know? Um, and so I pretty much, during this year and a half off break, do this fast at my church, um, find out that you can study to be a missionary. I had no idea that you could get a bachelor's mm -hmm. degree in intercultural and urban missions. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so after making this documentary, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to go, you know, back to school, get a degree uh, to be a missionary. But I had no idea where in the world uh, I would go. So during this two year period of time uh, studying to be a missionary, I would regularly go to the map on the hallway of the school and just stand there and say, God, please let there be uh, some kind of glimmer of light. Just hit a country. I'll go anywhere in the world. I only want to go where you are sending me, right. you know, and that never happened. But uh, this country, Malawi, that I had never heard of before, all of a sudden, you know, started coming up in my life. A, a professor of mine was sharing lots of stories from Malawi, and uh, I just felt God tying my heart and intriguing me. One of the first things I learned about Malawi as we were doing some research on the causes and solutions to poverty was Malawi was rated the third most joyful country in the world. And at the same time, it was the fourth poorest country in the world. Oh, man. And I had always thought of extreme poverty as a, you know, kind of a 
desolate, hopeless wasteland of mm -hmm. depression and misery, you know? And yeah. all of a sudden I'm seeing, wait a minute, how are these, you know, the fourth poorest country in the world, the third most joyful and friendly? I, I have to yeah. go see these people in Malawi, you know? So there was a number of things, a total of so six. So we can, we can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We can concur concur with that <laughs> state. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. We have an outpost. We call it the man up God's way outpost in Haiti. Mm. And, um, I've been there a few times. Ben's been there once. Um, I'm going back again this year. We've got the guy coming in um, in the next couple of weeks uh, that is our liaison there. And every time that I've gone there and that Ben's gone there, they are the most joyful, worshiping the Lord mm. in the dark, in the heat, no windows, no electric. Like they are worshiping God like nobody's business. Like mm. I've never seen poor people be that joyful. And it completely changed my mindset. Exactly mm. what you're saying. You know, rated, you know, the most joyful yet. They live <laughs> off, you know, 50 cents a day, you know, mm. kind of deal. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, That's because, because they don't have like the stress that we have here in the United States is mm. self-inflicted. <laughs> literally self-inflicted um mm. and that means that i've got to make more to to do let you know it just it just makes no sense all they you know, have all do. they have is hope yeah that's exactly. all they have mm -hmm. that trip changed my life mm. going back to you hiking across 16 countries and living on 20 where is this fear you speak of <laughs> right <laughs> you, you said you were fearful. You don't have any fear in you at all. <clears throat> right. So something interesting that was happening to me my freshman year in college, I right before leaving for, for school, um, some people of another faith started asking me lots of questions. Why do you believe what you believe? You know, do you really believe, you know, that the Bible is the word of God? And just started just barraging me with a ton of questions. And I grew up in the church, gave my life to the Lord when I was five years old through an Awanas program and um, just didn't really have great answers for them. You know, I told him, I believe that there are good answers for you, but I just don't know them. And <laughs> I just struggle to stay awake in church most Sundays, you know, <laughs> it's just like my, you know, my parents just took me to church. It's all I've really known. I'm going to actually read the Bible when I've only read 10% of it. And, and, you know, I say that this is the word of God, uh, but I barely read it. And so I entered into this journey of just reading cover to cover through scripture and saw God's heart for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the exploited, exploited, the downtrodden, you know, him calling those right. who believe in him and follow him to do things like defend and protect and rescue and maintain the rights of and speak up on behalf of orphans and widows. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of this um, challenged me, but I get to the New Testament and I just see Jesus saying, man, those, those who follow me do radical things. And I'm just going through this list of, you know, selling everything they have, giving yeah. to the poor and abandoning, hating their lives in comparison to the, you know, and it's just like loving their enemies. And literally, I'm going through this list thinking, how many of these have I done? I call myself a follower of Jesus. And Jesus mm -hmm. is saying, those who follow him do these things. Breach, yes. <laughs> I'm like, Breach. I, I honestly can't say that I do any of these well <laughs> on a regular right. basis. And so when my friend invited me to do this crazy journey, I thought, finally, an opportunity for me to, you know, like put into practice what I preach. I Honestly, I had a pretty works-based understanding that I didn't realize. I thought if I could just do this crazy enough thing for God, then finally I would be worthy of his love. And halfway through this journey while I'm in Rwanda at this desk reading scripture, I just broke down in tears and the Lord just said, why are you trying so hard to gain something that I already have freely given you? That's you right. Know? Mm. <laughs> and I just understood grace because I was trying to earn something that he was already freely right. giving me and just wrecked me. 
So wow, that's I've awesome. Been, I've been studying two things lately. Um, one is about weakness mm. and w- God's power in weakness in the story of David and Goliath and many other stories. And the second thing that I've been studying is about the least. Mm. When he says, the least of these, my brethren, and he he scolds, he doesn't scold the disciples, but he knows the disciples in their hearts are thinking about who's the greatest mm. right after he heals the boy, after they come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and then he tells them it's about being the least. And what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting is, is that the people in Malawi, the people in Haiti, and there's there are people in America. They're the least. Mm-hmm. It's our job to take care of the least. I'm not the least, right? Mm-hmm. I'm from America. I make decent money. It's I am not the least, and that's part of Christians' problems. They think they're the no no no. It's our job to take care of the least. He has made those that are the least for whatever reason, but then he's made people that. Have to, are supposed to take care of the least, and that's what we're supposed to do. That th- those people are the least. They have nothing. They come from a country where they have nothing, and I'm not from that country. God changed my life in Haiti to say, "Hey, do more with what you have for the least." I'm not the least. They are the least, Amen. and that's what we're to do: is to take care of the least. You know, That's good. I thought I was going to be a pastor. I'd lead outreach now. <laughs> wow. You know, <laughs> I want to go on missions and stuff like that. But I'm leading outreach in the church right now and taking, you know, helping, the, helping. It's it's everybody in the church doing it, but with a heart to take care of the least in the community. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the least. No. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people from America are not the least. No. If you make, if you're on welfare in America, you're part of the top five percent richest people in the world. Yeah. People just don't get it. But anyway, that's good. One of the things that was heavily impressed on my heart, you know, because we see in Scripture, you know, Jesus says, "When you give a cup of clean water, you're doing that for me." You know, yeah. when you're close to those who are brokenhearted, you're close. You know, you're close to God. You know. And uh, just this amazing reality that when I find myself with the least, you know, in the terms of global extreme poverty and mm-hmm. the different various forms of suffering that th- that can look like, just time after time, whether it's refugees, whether it's lack of clean water, whether it's lack of food, lack of whatever it might be, I, I feel like the Lord has helped me understand where he's like, David, that's what your spirit used to look like before you knew me. Yeah, mm. you know, like you're, you were just dry, you were hungry, you were yeah. desperate, you were, you know, in a place that's not your home, and I've adopted you into my family. You know, I've satisfied your spirit. You yeah. know, and this physical manifestation that you're seeing, this person that you are meeting, you know, in some ways a need of, I did that for you for your spirit, and it's, mm. whew, it's so dude, edifying. you're my soul <laughs> brother, man. <laughs> you're the only person I've ever met that can cry <laughs> thinking about God's love as fast as me. <laughs> I love you already, dude. <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I I try to tell Christians all the time there is a there is a part of your Christian life that will never be fulfilled unless you're doing the work of God outside the church. Yeah. Mm, the yeah. church's mission is outreach. Come on. Well, you said whether it, it's pre it, uh, whether it, it's it, preach it, the gospel because that's outreach or whether it's outreach outreach like we would typically think of it. The church's mission is outside the church. 
Right. Go ahead, Jody. I was going to say, he said it perfectly earlier. You know, when you had people of others, other faiths asking you what you believed and why you believed it, and all you could say was, I just went to church. That's majority <laughs> of, you know, yes. Christians today. Mm-hmm. They just go to, and they're missing out on the kingdom building that happens outside the four walls. We have to have the congregation get together and worship a mighty God. We have to have uh, pastors and elders and teachers and disciple makers making those disciples and encouraging them to go out and do mission. Not everybody's going to go out and do mission, but there is mission within their neighbors, you know, and their family and, um, and pray to God that they go even further to other countries. Cause that will, that will wreck your world. I, I went to, um, I've been to quite a few, but I went to one. My very first one was Guatemala. I'd just gotten saved in 2003, and I think it was 2005, 2006. And I did it in Haiti, too, and I forgot that I had actually done this. But I went down there thinking, man, I'm taking God with Mm. me. They're going to see God. Man, I'm full of fire, and I got it. I'm going to let them (laughs) all know about it. And I get down there, and God's like, I'm already here, dude. Like, <laughs> there's a, there's no reason for you to bring anybody down here or bring me here because I'm already here. And uh, it was really for me more than it was for um, any of those kids that I mm. saw in the orphanage down in Guatemala. Same thing in Haiti. You know, I'm thinking, man, we're going to – God's already there in those places. And what's cool is he lets you come and enjoy and join in – uh, what he's already doing in other places. Mm. There are very few places where you're going to be the first person to take God into. Mm. Not saying that there's not some places still like that, but you know, places like Africa and Haiti and South America and some of these, you know, Europe. I mean, m- most of them have already heard about God. So Malawi, uh, when was your first trip? March of 2011. Okay. So it took you two years after you heard from God. You did your two years. You got your bachelor's in missionary work. Mm. And God finally just spoke to you through different few different people and said, Malawi is the place you're going to go. How did that, um, so how did that all work out? Yeah, the day that I left for Malawi was one of the scariest days in my life. Definitely. Uh, we... My and this is after backpacking Europe on a dollar fifty. <laughs> like that's still the scariest. Like seriously, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. as a missionary, you 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 bundle up. You know your finances before you leave. You know usually dollar fifty. Yeah. So I, what's the name of that? Uh, I want to get that. Uh, well, let's not give him too much credit. He was only twenty something at the yeah, time. Yeah, but still, he was living on a dollar fifty a day anyway. You can't get a <laughs> jerky and a soda. Yeah, I was going to say. Right. You can't get a cheeseburger at McDonald's for a dollar anymore. Mm. You know, like so. So it was the scariest, scariest moment of your life. You thought. Yeah, my pastor, you know, was discipling me, and and uh, we did a bit of a, a fundraiser to help cover the the expenses to, you know, in August of 2010, my dad and my pastor and I, we all went together in March of 2011. I had reached out to all the organizations that I could find in Malawi that were doing similar work, whether it was gender-based violence or child abuse of some sort, Mm -hmm. uh, just to try to develop relationships, you know, and come alongside of maybe there's already uh, a long-term trauma counseling safe home in Malawi and we don't have to build one. We can partner and add value to what's on the ground. And so we heard back from one person the founder of the Malawi Human Rights Resource Center. They said they're real busy. They could just meet us a couple hours after our plane lands. And that's the only connection we had in this Seriously. whole country. Yeah. 
and we're literally traveling to spend a week here <laughs> with one connection. <laughs> what if she's like, ah, oh, yeah, we don't really need that. Or, you know, oh yeah, there's, right. there's a few of those here. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, what if we turn around and but we you, say, well, I guess we were, guess we're heading home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're going to pick another country, <laughs> you know? And so again, it was just that fear uh, of man, you know, yeah. What if I look like a failure and I've been telling people, I believe God is calling me here and then it doesn't work out. And yeah. people are like, well, I guess you were wrong, you know? So, wow. uh, yeah, we took the trip and we land, meet with this one connection that we have two hours after our plane flight. And we say, we believe that the Lord uh, might be calling us to build a long-term trauma counseling safe home. Is there something like that? Could you point us in a direction where that might best be located? Her jaw drops open. She says, for the last 14 years of my life, I've been praying and trying with everything that I have and everything oh that I am to build gosh. a home exactly like that. And there's so nothing like it anywhere in Malawi. I, I, hate, <laughs> I hate to interrupt, but there's something super poignant about what you're saying because you just said, you know, I'd, I'd hate to go and then be there for a little time. And then people say, oh, look, it failed. It didn't work. That lady had been praying for 14 years. And I'm sure if she told anybody, right, <laughs> over those 14 years that I've been praying for this and mm. God told me it's going to happen, they're like, that mm. lady's an idiot. You know, mm -hmm. she ain't talking to God. She's crazy. Mm -hmm. But 14 years of faithfulness of praying and saying, oh, you know, that's what I've been praying for. Mm -hmm. You know, but God put it on her heart 14 years before he put it on your heart. Amen. And um, one of my one of my good friends told me this. Uh, I asked him why, you know, I'm in Missouri because I feel like God called me to Missouri. I said, why am I in Missouri? He said, because he asked someone else and they said no. Mm. So he probably asked a few other people to show <laughs> up before he asked you, brother. But you finally found someone who said, answer the call. Yeah, mm. I'll go. And so this lady's been waiting 14 years, and now that's that's amazing. I mm. love that. That's awesome. Yeah, amen. So after that conversation, you and like what? So after she said, I've been praying for that, had she started anything? Like, has she dug a foundation? Had she set a corner of the room? Anyway, like, what did she have? Nothing. After 14 years of prayer. The only thing that they had done as the Malawi Human Rights Resource Center was the year before in 2010, they finally got uh, a grant or some foreign funding to be able to do a study. Oh, wow. It's really hard to get any money to open up any kind of ongoing project because no, you know, no foreign government, no NGO wants to kind of continually have to fund a, a program expense to run something like that. So they're like, yeah, we'll give you some money to do a study, a survey countrywide to try to find the city that has the highest ratings of gender-based violence so that if you ever get funding to build that, you'll know where to build it. Right. You know? Wow. And so uh, that was the thing that she had done the year before, 2010. And they, they did a study across Malawi and found one city, you know, in the central region called Mponela to have the highest ratings of gender-based violence. And so, yeah, she said, I know exactly where I'm going to take you. I'm, I know I've, we've already been developing a relationship with the senior chief, the highest level of the traditional authority in this area. I'm going to introduce you to him and let him know that the Lord may have answered our prayers because he just said, I'm not proud. You know, I have children of my own. I'm not proud that I'm the head of authority in the city that has a reputation of being the place that grown men go to abuse young girls. Yeah. And everyone in Malawi, in my country, calls the city that I'm, you know, in authority over the armpit of Malawi. And I'll do whatever I can to change that. And so they call this huge ceremony of 62 of the most influential people in this city. They decide to give 12 acres worth of land totally for free, you know, <laughs> to, oh my to some 20 something year old guy that flew halfway around the world. <laughs> Dude, that was all God. <laughs> Holy cow, man. 
Yeah, You're kidding me. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I like, I like how I like how you know how crazy it is, right? Yeah. In your laugh, yeah. you're not laughing because it's funny. You're laughing in amazement. Yeah. Even I mean, you're living it, and you look back on it, you just see the wonder in it. I can mm-hmm. see that in your eyes. Mm. Yeah, that is awesome, man. Holy cow! Absolutely. So we fly back to the U.S. and you know start fundraising. We launch uh, with a dinner banquet fundraiser. A uh, hundred and sixty something people come. We raise thirty thousand dollars and and start wow. you know moving toward construction of the first and only long term trauma counseling safe home in the whole country of nineteen million people. Golly, jeez. <laughs> so you go back. You got thirty thousand dollars, and so you. You go back to Malawi, and what do you do for like, what do you do with thirty thousand dollars in Malawi? I'm assuming that you can do a lot more, obviously, than you can in the United States. So, like, where did you start? Yeah, with that. Yeah, one of the first and as a twenty something, how in the, how did you, <laughs> how in the crap did you know what to do to begin with? Like, yeah. So I had actually gone back the whole summer of 2011, and just um, yeah, we just really believe in doing ministry through relationships. And uh, we wanted to combat, you know, kind of a savior complex that I think a lot of, especially Western missionaries can have thinking, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I have this education, I have the, these, res- these, you know, yeah, these finances, I have these connections and, and those people over there really need me and all right. that I have to offer. And so uh, we just did our best to ask the Lord for humility and uh, develop relationships and really just ask him to help us see that local Malawians, they understand the culture, they understand the language, they understand the challenges to the problems that they've been facing their whole lives way better than someone that's going to come from halfway around the world. And my job is not to come and say, do this, don't do this, do it this way, stop that. Uh, But my job is to to come alongside of them, not be this, this boss over them, but come alongside of them and say, what is it that you need to be able to do your job, you know, better than I can do it. I want to give you the resources to do you know Gosh, something that'll dude, bring, love be a remedy to the thing that's breaking your heart and the thing that's causing you and your family and your relatives pain and anguish you know wow so yeah we just developed a lot of relationships and and uh yeah i just think relationships are so important when it comes to to doing ministry that is honoring to the name of jesus and so, so were you working with the church or anything at this time would like did are there christian churches there that you're able to like find your helpers and uh, volunteers and paid staff. I, I mean, is that kind of what you did? Yeah. So as people kind of started hearing like, oh, this guy, you know, is coming and this is what he's going to do. I started getting introduced to people. So a man named Newman, which I love the show Seinfeld. So <laughs> I was just about to say, because <laughs> that's the first thought I had. I like, yeah. Newman. <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy's like, you got to meet Newman in this city, Mponella. He's, he's like the guy, you know, he started this thing called the fellowship and it's this interdenominational, you know, four different major churches in Ponella all send representatives in the afternoon, every Sunday afternoon. They have a gathering on top of their church over there's 40, 50, 60 people that come and it's just multi-denominational and they do Jesus film screenings, the passion of the Christ. They're just going village by village. He's like, you got to meet Newman. So we, we instantly kick it off, you know, become best friends. He later, you know, becomes the kind of country director of win the saints. And we're just going, you know, on a regular basis. That's the first thing we really started is just right. proclaiming the gospel, praying individually over people, hundreds of people village by village, um, kind of as we're, you know, doing some construction and you know, getting title deeds for land and buying a vehicle and, 
you know, registering as an, an NGO, a non-governmental organization, in Malawi, and kind of taking all the steps that we needed to to really establish an organization, you know, internationally in Malawi. Right. So. So Newman helped you do quite a bit of that, and introduce mm-hmm. you obviously to people that could help out. Yeah. So, where where did the foundation of the actual organization begin? Like uh, you had the twenty acres that was given to you. Twelve and a half. Or twelve and a half. I'm sorry. Twelve and a half to a twenty year old. Okay. Um you had the twelve and a half acres. Did you start trying to build a building almost immediately or was that has that been a process or where are you with it now? Yeah. Um we did start building a four thousand square foot structure that would ultimately become at first the housing, but we knew it eventually we would build separate dormitories and it would be more of the administrative offices. And so it took us a number of years um, to fundraise, uh, to also build a fence around the property for security reasons. You know, before we could really start, we had, uh, it's not easy being a missionary. No, okay. Um, and so we had some fights with the builders and Emma and, you know, just some couple thousand dollars worth of materials went missing and we had to pause everything for like a year and a half and put a board uh, in Malawi, a, a board of Malawians mm-hmm. in place to make decisions as a group and kind of oversee and manage things. Because uh, that's just wise, you know, uh, than just trying to ha- put too much power and authority into one person. Right. And so and the Lord just helped us kind of, you know, lay a strong foundation to build on. And so we had planned to open the safe home the end of 2013. It didn't end up opening until uh, 2015. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, jumping, you know, forward a number of years, we just two days ago, let the, uh, 214th girl into our year long trauma counseling program. We, you know, we currently have 50 girls in our program. Uh, so we've had uh, over 160 graduate return back home. They're all girls, 16, as, as young as three years old oh that get gosh. referred to us from the victim support unit of the police. We partner with the police in our community. We have 54 staff members, all Malawian mm. staff members that run everything. So, so yeah, that jumping forward, awesome. even to this day, we're still the first and only long-term trauma counseling safe home like this in the whole country. Where did, wow. the, where did the name when the saints come from? So, Originally, before we launched in 2011, um, from 2009, you know, for about two years, I, it's a bit of a longer story, but I was honestly kind of cynical and bitter toward the church and reading cover to cover through scripture and seeing, you know, God's heart for the oppressed, but then growing up in church and not seeing his heart, I felt like being reflected through Christians uh, that I knew and through churches that I had attended. I uh, actually originally was going to call the ministry if the saints mm. and it was more bitter. It was more yeah. cynical. Mm. Like if the saint, if Christians would actually step into their identity as the bride of Christ and, and walk out what God's heart is passionate about, then the world wouldn't look like this. Right. It would look a lot different. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> get it. a few people had to uh, kind of <laughs> rebuke me lovingly and correct me and say, don't, you know, let's speak life over the bride of Christ. Let's not speak death and like have this backhanded title. Like, oh, if you were to, you know, and just speak hope. And, and so we changed it to win the saints. And I did love that, you know, when the saints go marching in, I want to be right. one of them, just kind of how it tag, tags yeah. into that. that well, and, you know, and you, someone's probably already told this, you this, or you, you've probably already come to this realization, but also just, just, be so thankful to God that God taught you 
what this walk is really about at such mm. a young age. Amen. Because some people never get it. Mm-mm. People that are going to heaven, they don't get it. And and I think it's it's unbelievable how early it is because, dude, um, maybe it's because I lead outreach and that's where my heart is. Like, like I see the love of God in your eyes, man. Mm. Like you're 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 walking the walk, and you're taking care of the least. And you know th- how how awesome it is that God taught you that and grabbed your heart at such a young age. So be thankful uh, that you're not. Uh, like some others mm, you know what i'm God. saying look at it that way thank you That's good amen so let's go back to i i, I want to get into the sex trafficking that's where i will really want to get into but i, I want to lead up into that story so between 2013 2015 didn't have a place for anybody what were you doing for those girls what were you doing um for the calling that you have, not just the building pro- project, obviously, and the, the organization and the administration, but what, as far as the ministry, how are you doing all of that as well? And then how did you get the Malawans prepared for that as well? Yeah, what I was doing was primarily uh, weeping and uh, accusing God of not mm-hmm. caring. Just, uh, you know, where we've seen this incredible need of all these girls being abused and we're working toward building a safe home and it, it gets delayed by two years, you know? Right. And so I was just so angry uh, with God. How could you let this happen? Don't you care about these girls? Mm-hmm. You know, why would you delay this? And just feeling like, man, he just so lovingly just said, you know, David, I care about these girls way more than you'll ever know, (laughs) you know, way more than you'll ever understand. But I also care about you. And I would never push you into something before you're ready. Uh, I would never want to exploit you to try to help someone that's been exploited. And uh, so you need this, you need this couple years uh, to mature. And I want you to uh, just allow me to share my heart with you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just there's a really influential video that helped me a lot through this season called A Call to Anguish by David Wilkerson, a seven minute clip. And uh, just learn that, man, just when we allow our hearts to be broken for the things that God's heart is broken for, then he can pour himself into us and mm-hmm. it humbles us a lot. And we can step out in his authority and not our own authority because it's so tempting and so easy for us just to step out and then we end up taking all the credit and puffing ourselves up instead of just saying there's no way that this would ever have been done if it wasn't for the Lord and he's you know Revelations 410 it just shows this group of people taking all the crowns off their head and saying everything that we accomplish on earth is all for the glory of Jesus. He's worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the power, all the glory. It all goes to him. Everything that we did was for him. Amen. It wasn't for us. You know, we're going to take these and just throw them and cast them at the feet of Jesus because he's worthy. So I just needed this, this two-year period of time for a lot of arrogance and pride and bitterness to be uprooted from our heart. So that, that's what I was wow. doing in this Okay, <laughs> that's good. But yeah, we were that's still, good. you know, proclaiming the gospel uh, village by village, still developing relationships and, and uh, you know, just kind of um, through these relationships and friendships, essentially kind of uh, selecting some staff members that later, you know, w- started right. doing ministry with us. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad God, you know, sometimes we get into ministry, and we forget to grow. 
Mm, you know, we absolutely we get going, you know, balls of the wall. And, it's, you know, you still have to grow. Mm-hmm. You still have to have a relationship with Jesus. You still have to to seek him. You still have to humble yourself. You still have Come to on. repent. You know, you've still got to do those things while you're doing ministry. And sometimes mm-hmm. God is going to stop you in your ministry and say, hold on. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're getting the cart before the horse. Slow down just a little bit and let's let's talk a little bit. And I mm-hmm. think that's great that you're that you're mature enough to know it didn't start off that way, but God kind of <laughs> he he got you back to to make sure you did that. Uh, through through this ministry, man of God's way, I've had the opportunity to deal with um, ministries that do sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, one ministry is a, a a group of military guys that actually go to third world countries and act like rich Americans uh, mm. purchasing. Um, they work with the local government, and they act like rich Americans purchasing these young girls wow. and, and young boys in, in a lot of cases as well. And so it's kind of a twofold project that they're working on. They're wanting to bust the actual rich Americans and rich you know men that are doing this uh, all around the world, uh, and they're also wanting to bust the ring or the the... Uh, the pimps or you know the 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 sex trafficking ring itself uh so it's kind of a twofold project and every time that they've done this and uh every time that they pull these guys to the side and they separate the children they separate the men they've got everybody busted and it always um begins like how did you get to a they're asking these men how did you get to a third world country literally wanting to buy a 12 year old girl and it inevitably starts with porn mm. every one of them said it started with porn you know mm. it started with porn and i wasn't satisfied and it started with porn and i i, I just couldn't get enough and then it started with prostitution and then it mm. started you know and it just goes down this rabbit hole that they couldn't get out of mm. um what are you seeing um in malawi like is it is it porn or is it just lack of Jesus? Is it just lack of control? Is it just a, a society that has let go of everything and just basically a free for all? What are you seeing uh, where you are in Malawi? Yeah, let me get to that in a second because I'd love okay. to go deep here. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Because uh, I was shown porn, you know, when I was, I don't know, probably nine, 10 years mm-hmm. old. Uh, became instantly addicted for more than a decade, 11 years, uh, right in 2009, right after this 21 day fast, feeling the Lord call me, you know, to be a part of trying right. to see an end to sexual abuse. I'm still addicted to pornography. Yeah. I had been through this almost essentially a three year period of time of me trying to do everything that I could to free myself. Amen. And, yeah. um, I had joined, a, you know, what, you know, these accountability groups mm. and, uh, had a number of great friends. We called it the Kelly Club so that if we were around other people, we could say, hey, how, how's Kelly doing? Oh, I, you know, I haven't seen her for like three weeks, you know? <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, and so, um, but uh, at the same time, you know, I'd go a week, I'd go a month, I'd go two months, whatever. And uh, it was just like almost the longer I went, once I fell back into it, the harder I fell back into yeah. it. And uh, finally, I'm like, God, how is it that you're calling me to this when I've just, I can't free myself. I've done everything that I can to try to free myself. Mm-hmm. How, 
I literally was having this conversation with the Lord saying, this is, I, I feel like this is going to be a part of my life forever. And can you just please help me keep it a secret? Because it would be really awkward if 10 years from now, you know, I'm like directing this ministry and someone finds my laptop with right. a bunch of, you know, porn on it. Yeah. And, um, I remember I was reading through Romans. I got to chapter seven where Paul is, is saying, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the chief among all of them. You know, and he just says, I do exactly what I know I shouldn't do. And I don't do the very things that I know that I should do. And who is going to rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I didn't instantly jump to the, the humility part. It takes me a while. I was first like, how is Paul saying that he's the chief among sinners? Like he's a rock star, right. you know? Yeah, <laughs> he's like written, exactly. writing half of the New Testament, starting all these churches. He's like, I, in my heart, I have a different view of myself. I think I'm pretty awesome. Right. And I'm, I'm uh, very self-righteous. And sure, I got this problem with porn, but like 98% of dudes do, you know, right, it's like, yeah. and uh, so I was just very much justifying this sin. And um, I just asked the Lord a simple prayer. I just said, God, I think between Paul and myself, I think Paul's got the more correct view of himself <laughs> than I do of <laughs> myself. Can you please humble my heart? Right. Can you give me a perspective of myself like Paul has of himself? Yeah. And I honestly believe I felt this physical thing hit me in the chest and I got this picture in my mind of something that was stuck to my heart that wasn't supposed to be there, break off and float away. And instantly on February 5th of 2009, I supernaturally was delivered from a, a 11 year Ooh. addiction to pornography and have been walking in freedom ever since. Praise I've, God. I, I'm not, it's not like I'm perfect. It's not like I'm never tempted. I've looked at a pornography a couple times since then, but I will, I can honestly say I was radically and instantaneously delivered from right. slavery to that sin Amen. and I'm walking in freedom. And that's what has to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've dealt with pornography as well, addiction to pornography. As a matter of fact, my wife and I watched pornography prior to becoming Christians until mm -hmm. uh, in 2003. I was an atheist and, you know, we thought, you know, bringing pornography into the bedroom would make mm. our sex life better and we didn't have kids yet. And um, we got saved and all of a sudden the Lord told her to quit. Mm. And I was like, whoa, oh, hey, ho, hold on. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't, this is good for us, I thought, you know, and um, it took me, I would say, so 2003, I'd say 2006 or seven. Um and my wife will probably text me here in a minute with the date, but um, <laughs> it was somewhere right around there. I was having a, a conversation with a buddy of mine. Mm. He was about 10 years younger than me, and he, he was actually the pastor's son. And, uh, man, I was just, the Lord was, I quit smoking, I quit drinking, I quit cussing, I quit doing all, and I just could not quit pornography. I don't know, I could not figure it out. And uh, so he, he sat across the table from me, and he's about this big around, and uh <laughs> We were, we were trying to be accountability partners, you know, with each other. And he, he kind of looked at me and he's like, what's going on? I was like, man, I, nothing really. And he's like, you're a liar. And I thought, man, I'll drag you across this table and <laughs> stomp you in the ground. And he, he finally pulled it out. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm dealing with pornography. Like for me, you know, especially I felt God's calling in my life to preach. Mm. And um, matter of fact, I, I think I was already preaching at this time. And I just could not, could not break it. And I finally confessed to them. He looked across the table. He's like, me too. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You're the pastor's son, you loser. Like, you know, I, was, <laughs> I was like, you can't be doing that. And so we, we literally started working with each other 
uh, read Every Man's Battle, um, mm. you know, just a really, really good book, really just started getting close to God and God, you know, kind of, he took that away. And mm. uh, I had a conversation with my wife. I noticed that you're married now. We'll talk about that here <laughs> in just a little bit, but I had a conversation with my wife and we've been married, gosh, 12, 13 years at the time. And, uh, I just remember telling her, I, I was like, I don't know. We've been married 15 years at this time. I, I was just like, I, I need to talk to you. You know, I've, you know, I've been dealing with this ever since we got saved. Mm. I never told her about it. And then, uh, you know, thank God, God was working on both of us because what she said, it could have wrecked me and, or it could have built me up. And what she mm. said, she's like, well, how do I help? Wow. Is all she said. And it was like, holy cow. So we had a conversation of just, you know, what my physical needs were, what my spiritual needs were, what hers were, you know, like it was just this op opportunity for us to be able to talk. And, um, that was in 2006 and like, it's just been, it's been amazing. But in men's ministry, um, I'm dealing with it all the time as a mm. pastor, I'm dealing with it, you know, with my men all the time. And, there's this disconnect that happens a lot of times, just like what you had. How can I fix this? Mm -hmm. How can I fix this? You can't. Mm. Jesus can. And most men are not having a relationship close enough to Jesus to see that he can help, that he's, mm. he died upon the cross for our sins and he was resurrected and he is our savior and he broke you know, he defeated death. He defeated sin. And we have the opportunity to walk away from that sin if we will just let him do it. Mm. And too many men are not doing that. So I love your honesty and your your um, openness, because getting into the ministry that you're in, I mean, dude, it it would it would destroy you and destroy the people that are behind you, mm -hmm. you know, especially Absolutely. with the sensitivity that you have with the issues mm. sex trafficking the majority of it is going to you know it obviously starts with lust and i love you know the bible says capture your thoughts mm. you've got to learn to capture that romans 8 6 is my life first for the mindset on the flesh is death but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace mm. and so many times when we get into the flesh we lose that thought process and that leads us into lust that leads us in you know going from the lust to the thought process to the we're actually meditating on porn in our head. And then the next thing you know, you're on a computer screen looking at it. Mm. That's, that's a bad place. There's this old joke that <laughs> that's uh, a bad place. Pastor, a pastor used to say, uh, this guy comes in, he's looking for counseling. He says, pastor, I can't Me and my girlfriend. We love each other. We love Jesus, but we keep sleeping together. So, um, and he's like, ah, oh, you know, that it is, it's a struggle. I understand lust is, is tough. Why don't you tell me and explain, you know, um, What's going on? Maybe I can help you, you know, build some barriers and whatnot. He says, okay, so every night as we're lying there in bed, I'm praying. He goes, wow. He says, there's a God's powerful, but he can't stop that. Bro. Yeah, once yeah. you're in bed, you yeah. know, once you've, once you've taken it past the thought, that's why the Bible says capture our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I'm not speaking from a, uh, a spot of expertise. Uh, I'm speaking of a spot of struggle. You know, um, I think your honesty and um, I'm super honest uh, in my own ministry with my music. We have to be honest about where our, where we're struggling. Mm -hmm. And if we're not, uh, people aren't going to take us seriously or we're going to get ousted because we are broken. We are messy. We are Paul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love what you said, David, though. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect um, a way of saying it. Like in your heart, 
you thought you you were the guy. You had it all squared away. You know, in Paul's mm-hmm. heart, he thought he was the chief of all sinners. Mm-hmm. That's where we have to be. That's mm-hmm. we have to know that what's your weakness? You know, if you don't know your own weakness, you're not going to be able to, you know, allow God to even stop it because you're just going to continue to do it. Yeah, Amen. Paul. Paul was very aware of the power that God was using through him mm. the, to the degree that if he started to get too much credit, he would rent his clothes and fall on the ground. He was very, very aware that he did not want to steal God's glory. And he was aware what he, he really was aware of what he was doing, mm. but he was trying to give all the credit to God. Yeah. It's so funny how our calling ends up coming out of our biggest sin. Absolutely. Outreach. Mm-hmm. I was the most selfish, money-grubbing, never sharing with anybody person you would ever meet in your life. Jody was a salesman, lying to anybody that he could. Now he's a salesman for Jesus, <laughs> and he's telling the truth. You know what I'm saying? It's you were you were in sexual mm-hmm. lust, whatever you want to call it, slavery, and now you're freeing people that are victims. It, it's just crazy. The Bible says... Without there is no testament without the death of the testator. Wow! You have no testimony until you're the until that old man is dead. Mm. It's talking about Jesus in that verse, spiritualizing a little bit. Once you die to that old sin or that old behavior, yeah, now you've got a good. testimony that share. Mm-hmm. And we talk about all the time. It's something me and Jody talk about over and over. All the power is in the Saul side of our testimony because it's the only part of our testimony that we own. Mm. God owns the Paul side. Wow. So all the, when you share like you just did when Jody shares, first of all, I wish you wouldn't share that testimony about Nan. Why? Because Nan's the pastor, and I just <clears throat> I just love Nan, and I just don't want to think about that kind of stuff. So I wish you would just say, I'm addicted to porn, and that's how it was. But anyway. She, and it, it wasn't her. It was me. Like, she was trying to fulfill the marriage. No, I get you know it. what I'm saying? Like, it. No, I get it. It wasn't anything that she desired by any means, um, mm. but, you know, it was just. We were young and stupid. Yeah, she like, was, we didn't have a clue. She was just being an we didn't have a wife. clue what we were doing. I was an atheist, and we didn't we didn't have God anywhere in our marriage at that time. Yeah. And um, you know, I why would you? A, she, yeah, exactly. She's a saint. You know, and <laughs> she put up with me that long. I can't believe she should have got rid of me a long time ago. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those deals that we we get to uh, in our head thinking that we can fix it. And that's with every sin that's in our lives. We can't, we don't have the power. Um, we have to use the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to use the word of God. We have to use the accountability of each other. We have to use um, barriers, you know, to put up barriers in our life. You know, mm. I've got on every device that I have, I've got a porn blocker on. And mm. if I get on pornography, it goes to my wife and my elders. Mm. You know, like that's that that's a pretty good deterrent you know (laughs) like you know that's a pretty good deterrent so so you 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 came and you confessed that all right so let's how long have you been married just about five years okay all right so so this happened prior to marriage okay so you stayed pure for that that time from 2000 was it nine february 2009 you said Mm. um gosh so 2016, no, 17, 17. Yeah. So 2017, you got married, uh, and you were doing all of the ministry. So how often do you go back 
so let's say from 2000, uh, was it 13 you started really? 2011. Yeah. 2011. So yeah. how often do you go to Malawi? Yeah, starting in 2011, I would spend six months a year in Malawi and then okay. six months a year in the U.S. When we got married in 2018, uh, we started spending nine months a year in Malawi and then only three months back in the States. Once our men's ministry branch uh, of the organization started taking off in 2018, um, yeah, I just uh, found you know more of a, a, a purpose kind of staying and discipling men in Malawi. So, so we wow. started spending more time there. So yeah, we, we just came back the end of January. We're here till May 4th and we're going back for another nine months to Malawi. Here. And your wife is sold out. She got called her and it's, <laughs> it's all, it's all a family ordeal, huh? Yeah. My wife is actually originally from Kenya and, okay. and we met in Malawi. Okay. She had been sent to start a second branch of the organization that she was working for. That's Kenyan based. And uh, they did a rape prevention class, and no, wow. it's called No Means No in middle schools to try to help women, girls, young girls use their voice to say, no, you're making me uncomfortable, you know, stop doing this, please. And uh, she was the head of the research department. I'm going to brag on her for just a minute. Go she, for it. she was the head of the research department, and she's been published by John Hopkins, showing that the schools that they had this after-school program in, the cases of rape were, were being reduced by 38%. But some of the girls were stepping forward saying, it's great that you're teaching me how I can try to avoid a situation or get out of a situation if I might think I might be sexually abused. But what if I'm being sexually abused in my home on an ongoing basis for the past two years by my uncle or by oh, my wow. cousin or by my stepdad or, you know, so then they realized we need a place where we can bring some of these girls who are perpetually being sexually abused out of those abusive situations. And so then... Uh, they, you know, one of our Malawian board members was working for the UN women and uh, this organization my wife was working with met with them and said, is there anywhere we can refer these girls? And she said, yeah, you know, Habiba said, yeah, I sit on the board of the first and only one in Malawi. And so that's how I ended up getting connected to meet my wife. Awesome. Yeah, that's that awesome. is great. That was a God <laughs> thing, wasn't it? Absolutely. Halfway around the world, you get to meet your, your <laughs> wife, your yeah, future wife. Absolutely. Had she ever been to the States before meeting you? Never. Never? Okay. That's nope. cool. That is really cool. Do you have any kids yet? We have a year and a half year old. My wife is 11 months pregnant. with Dude. number two. <laughs> Throwing that's up awesome. in the mornings. <laughs> yeah, she's not doing too well. Holy she's cow. Pretty nauseous, but yeah. She's how how many pregnant? She's eleven weeks pregnant. Eleven, 11 weeks. weeks. I thought you said eleven she months. Did, I was like, oh. He did, but he did, but I knew what. Oh, he meant. maybe I said months. I was like, <laughs> like wait, there's something in, in, in different in water over in Kenya. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, bro. Yeah, cut no, that out it. a long time. No, ago. I thought he meant eleven weeks. <laughs> okay. Wow, man! Congratulations. Thank you that so is much. awesome. Yeah, that's great. That is awesome. All right, so let's go back to the. So, you were delivered of porn. The, the addiction to pornography, you step into the ministry and then you start seeing uh, not only the effects, but the cause. What, what would you say the cause is of majority of the sex trafficking that's going over there, the rapes or the incest or any of the things that you see? What, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there was a Canadian study done in Malawi by a, a friend of mine's who uh, you know, leads a, an organization, and they essentially, one of the main findings was that 93% of cases of abuse, uh, the girls would say, are done by someone that they know and see on a regular basis. Wow. 
And so, you know, rape, a lot of times we assume it's just a stranger that grabs you in the street, but 93% of the time it's, you know, their neighbor, their uncle, their cousin, whatever it might be, someone that they're living with. In Malawi, it's very common. Uh, They have, you know, a very close kind of uh, extended family. And so a lot of times in a village, a daughter will be sent to live with their uncle so they can get a better education and a better school in a bigger city. And a lot of times, you know, the, uh, even these family members, I will say, you know, essentially you're living under my roof, I'm feeding you. And so you need to pay me in this way. And it'll just be years of ongoing, you know, abuse. And so, so that's very, that very common. That's primarily what we'll see. But one big thing that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit essentially started helping us understand because there are definitely brothels. There are girls, young girls who are trafficked uh, into these brothels enslaved for the sexual exploitation that we've uh, been stepping into. We just raided four brothels in December of last year in partnership with the police. But uh, the Holy Spirit really started helping us understand that, man, we can focus on bringing girls out of situations where they're being abused on an ongoing basis out of brothels. But essentially, we would be creating a void. We would be creating an open position where the same number of men are going to be wanting to abuse the same number of girls. And indirectly, through mm. the success of our ministry of bringing these girls out of these horrible situations, we could actually cause traffickers to go into villages and bring other girls that wouldn't have otherwise been abused in to fill the position that we created Mm. and we would just be spinning our wheels in the mud just bringing that girl out only to have her be replaced right and so you know just the holy spirit started helping us understand that the gospel is one of when i was an enemy to god he chased after me you know and he laid his life down uh, to allow me to come to a place of having my heart be softened by his kindness you Mm. know and brought to a place of repentance and so the Lord just started helping us understand if you really want to see a sustainable reduction in the cases of sexual abuse and this injustice, it has to involve men's hearts being transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Mm. And if you see the demand of sexual abuse be eradicated, there won't be a need for a supply of girls to meet right. that meet that need. And so Jody's gonna get mad because I'm gonna use this verse again, <laughs> Proverbs four twenty three. Mm. Above all else, mm. guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life. Mm. It's a heart issue. Mm-hmm. I'm it an is. operations guy, right? We do root cause analysis. Mm. Root cause analysis of the human condition is the heart. And you're, you're, you're doing root cause analysis. I love it. You are going and you are... Take it, you are pouring into the men that are committing these crimes and you're changing their hearts. That's what it is. That's what God's doing. God, you know, the Bible says God came to restore, right? Amen. He came to make new. What? Our hearts. Our hearts since the garden have been broken, right? Now we have a different, we have two views. We have right and we have wrong. It's the devil spoiled it from the beginning. And so that that's that that that's what every single issue that we're going to overcome in our life is God's work, the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. It's also work that he's done on my heart. Amen. You know, I don't do as much work on your heart as mine, but I'm sure you've gleaned <laughs> something from me over totally. the years. Heck yeah. You know, you, what you're doing to my heart tonight, like I'm sitting over here and I'm thinking to myself, 
We're doing a food and hygiene drive. <laughs> Killing it. But but in that but but you gotta understand in that moment the Holy Spirit tells me his calling's not your calling. Right, exactly. You're you're yeah. going to do outreach here. That's why we in, have in our community, right? So it's just mm-hmm. a different calling. It's well, it's Paul something says else. It's a body. Yeah, if everybody I mean everybody has a different pro- it, it, Everybody uh, that play, sits yeah. in that chair, yeah. I want to go do what they're doing. <laughs> like, I want to go to Malawi. It's funny that you say that. I was literally, when I, you and I were texting back and forth, I went downstairs and I was waiting for you. And I was just thinking, like, how, how come God didn't give me unlimited resources, multiple me's, and the opportunity to do mission in, in Malawi and Haiti and East St. Louis and Eureka, Missouri? Like, just that thought process just went through my head really quick. Like all these things I want to do and it's just so not enough time. And that's why we disciple. That's why we Mm. call the church to be a part of the body. Everybody has to be a part. And if we can get as many people involved, we will have people who go to Malawi. We will have people who go to East St. Louis. We will have people to go next door and take care of that. And that's what, that's what the church is meant to be. That's why God is, or Jesus established the church is so that we would create disciples, make disciples and encourage them to get out and do kingdom building. We, cause one person, Jesus by himself couldn't do it all. You know, the message, he did everything that he needed to on the cross. Don't get me wrong, but he couldn't set up the whole church. You know, he couldn't set up all the churches around the world. That's why he made disciples. That's well, yeah, and you know, God can do amazing. Like we went to Haiti, like you've been to Haiti a couple of times, but the first couple of times you went, it was kind of just informational, seeing what's mm-hmm. going on. When I went with you, we did you did a conference, and it right. really wasn't me. I was just there watching and learning, and maybe I spoke a couple of times. But since that one conference, you haven't been back, and there has been life changing stuff in those yeah. men's hearts over there okay. you know they have a real you're probably seeing them alive they have real domineering men mm. it's old testament husbandry mm. right holding their women down this that and the other and now he's got guys over there that came to one conference that we spent a little time with and he's sitting side by side shooting videos with his wife mm-hmm. talking about scripture and stuff and before that like she was struggling with him mm-hmm. she yeah. pulled you and nan aside and yeah. you guys had a private conversation with her mm-hmm. and now they're side by side yeah. and it only took one trip yeah, you wouldn't thank COVID for that crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy. We're I'm going again this year, so I'm excited. So, yeah. mm. finally. But um, all right. So you're you're dealing with the girls, okay? And so you only have space for so many girls, correct? Right. How are you, or what are you doing for those girls that come to you that um, don't have space? Are you going into their homes? Are you uh, do you have another ministry there? Do you have churches that are helping out? What are you doing to, I can imagine once word gets out, it's like, go see David, you know, mm. go see the ministry, go see when the saints go, you know, like that, that all of a sudden starts. Um, are you seeing an uptick in that just because of the, the word you've been there now, almost 10 years, uh, a little over 10 years and, um, you're starting to make a name for yourself. Not, not for yourself. Don't get me <laughs> yeah. wrong. You're, you're making a name for God, but yeah, you know, you're starting to you, be known. You're, yeah, people, you're starting to people be known. know what's going how, on and what you're doing. How are you helping those that you can't necessarily house? 
Yeah, I would say two things. On December 2nd, we actually had a huge ceremony. The, the First Lady of Malawi and the Minister of Gender, a number of very influential government leaders, the Member of Parliament and the, the Senior Chief you know, of the traditional authority, and they all came to our, our site, our safe home, with uh, 400 you know, other people. And uh, every news station in Malawi was there filming, you know, everything, just announcing that the first and only long-term trauma counseling safe home was here. And one of the reasons why we, we didn't do a ceremony like this sooner is because we felt like it would lead to more of an influx of cases when we already couldn't handle the ones that were coming our way. Uh, but we just decided, you know, there'll be, you know, we'll never really be able to put our finger on helping, you know, every single girl. And so let's just go ahead and celebrate that we're here and let, you know, let Malawi know yeah. that we are here to give them hope, you know, uh, that when a girl is abused, she doesn't have to just be sent home, you know, alone. There is a place where she can get help. And so uh, to answer your question, there is one, what's called a VSU, a victim support unit in, in our community of Mponela. And 95% of all the cases in our safe home get referred to us from that one VSU. And, um, we have three dorms that house 18 girls each. So we, right now we have a maximum capacity of 54. We're currently constructing dorm number four. We'd love to build five, six, seven, eight in the next, you know, five, six, seven years, however long it might take to get up to 144 girls because there are six other victim support units within a 45 minute drive of our safe home that have all reached out to us and said, please, we have all these cases of what's called defilement, girls 16 and under who have been abused that we just send home and we tell them, we'll try to catch the guy that did this to them and arrest them, but we have absolutely nothing to offer you. And in Malawi culture, a lot of times if a girl is sexually abused, even if it was forced on her, she loses most of her value in society and is ostracized by the community, by her friends, uh, and it's incredibly difficult, and she's just sent home, sometimes in the, into the home where she's being abused, and just is told, you know, well, there's nothing we can do for you, and so we're trying our best, you know, to get a greater capacity so that we can just handle all this, the seven victim support units, you know, within less than an hour yeah. drive of our safe home, and so we, you know, even a 10-year vision would be to have a second trauma counseling safe home in the northern region and a third one in the southern region but that's you know a bit further down the road but it's just been amazing to see the way that the lord has been uh just you know i don't know in some ways just growing us as an organization for his glory of course we just had a big thing in the post dispatch you know here uh, in st louis uh last sunday which you that's know awesome has been really cool and, and yeah we've just in the last couple of years we've just seen uh a lot of growth we had a five-year strategic plan that we put together two years ago and all of a sudden, we <laughs> finished everything after no two kidding. years. Yeah. Oh, praise God. <laughs> so that now, at awesome. the beginning of this year, we're putting together a seven-year strategic plan because, yeah, I, I feel like after 10 years, for whatever reason, there's just kind of been this this sweet spot where a number of people have come and, and they just are essentially saying, yeah, we've been following you for a few years. And, you know, it's just like younger things, you never know what they'll just kind of fold, you know? Right. And it's like, well, you've been around, you made it 10 years. Like, well, well. That's funny that you say that because that, that our ministry, Man, Man Up, is uh, 10 years this year. Wow. And I've had people say, you know, uh, I just reached out to a, a, a guy that I, I met literally 10 years ago, and uh, I would consider him like the godfather of men's ministry, you know? <laughs> you know, he just kind of, I reached out to him very early on, and I asked him to be on the podcast and he wrote back. He's like, still at it, huh? 10 years. Oh, well, you've got it figured out then, you know, and uh, it was kind of cool. But yeah, you're right. About that 10 year mark, you start seeing people. Are like, okay, this is real. They're yeah. going to, 
they're going to continue to do that. That's good. Mm-hmm. So you bring a girl in, mm-hmm. okay? Um, depending on their age, I'm assuming that you have some. Uh, you 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 keep them for a year. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Is that mandatory? Is that just the well-being for them? Do they have family that's involved in this? So take us through the process of the intake and then the discharge. Like what, what goes on in that full year? Yeah, it's not mandatory. Some girls uh, rarely will be able to be released before a year. Some girls we end up keeping a year and a half, two years, even more. Uh, but the majority of them, uh, we have a roadmap to healing that we kind of look for certain milestones uh, in the girl's life, in their mm-hmm. heart, um, that a lot of times within a year, we can see a lot of those be met and feel like we can return them um, with the tools to continue their journey to healing. Right. You know, one of those is uh, how do you view your the perpetrator, the person that did, did this mm-hmm. to you? Have you ever prayed for them, you know? Uh, is there any room in your heart for forgiveness toward them? Not that you have to obviously be their best friend or anything, oh, you know, heavy. but uh, if we graduate a girl with all of this bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness in her heart, we believe that that's toxic and it's right. going to hinder her from being able to step into the woman that God has created her to be. And yeah. so, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can give her uh, this ability to to release that, you know, and uproot that toxicity mm. from her heart and create a a more healthy flourishing environment. So there's certain things like that that we look for. Yeah, right. when, you know, at the victim support unit of the police, they say, here's our cases, you know, of defilement this week. We do case assessments to figure out which which girls we will be able to receive into our program, bring bring the parents and have all of our staff and girls come and sing a song of welcome. <laughs> oh, wow. My favorite part of the ministry, man, is seeing, seeing these girls come just having their lives in some ways be just demolished and, uh, you know, being rejected and mocked and ostracized by community just to be welcomed with love and just the bewilderment on the parents' face, you know? (laughs) And then just two weeks, almost without fail, two weeks later, just the dramatic transformation of this girl, her whole perspective of life, her whole demeanor is just radically different. And it's just been amazing to see that Honestly, just from the very beginning, before we built any structures, we would just, I would regularly walk around the land and just pray that, you know, the power of God's spirit would be here. And anytime anyone just took a step onto the, 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 you know, the land, they would just experience his glory, his presence, his healing. And so that's, yeah, that's where we put all, you know, all the success of the ministry. Praise God. That is awesome. On the power of the spirit to, to be a wonderful counselor. That is awesome. Absolutely. So you, you'll, you'll take them through this one year program and, uh, obviously it's Christian based. Mm -hmm. And so at what point do you start sharing the, the gospel? At what point do you start? Is that day one? Is that, or is there some kind of trauma work that you do psychologically in the first few weeks? Or is it, it's all just, Hey, here's Jesus and let us show you who he is. Yeah, since, you know, there's obviously girls, they're kind of coming and going at all different times. We just have Monday through Friday times of devotion in the evenings. We have house mothers that live with the girls, and they are not always necessarily the ones to facilitate the time of discipleship or the, you know, um, kind of Bible studies and stuff in the evenings. One of the things that I love, uh, you know, once I don't, I'm not normally there. We live in our men's ministry home about six minutes from the safe home. 
uh, where my wife and I live. But once I had to run, I had forgot something, and I walk into nine nine year old girl just you know preaching because <laughs> the, the girls will like take turns you know preaching to each other do they really doing bible studies and it's just so man edifying for my spirit um so yeah they have group counseling sessions you know wow. tuesday wednesday they have these evening devotion times they have monday wednesday friday individual counseling with trauma counselors that are christian that use scripture in their you know counseling sessions and so yeah from the very beginning you know, we make it very clear uh, to the girls, to their parents, that we are a Christian organization and that That's great. ultimately, you know, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the best counselor, way better than any of us. And he's the one that will never leave you, never forsake you, never leave you as an orphan, and he'll be with you, you know, whether you're here in the safe home, whether you're back home. You know. Amen. Yeah. So what are your, like, percentage-wise, what are you seeing as far as, um, you say a lot of this, 90 what percent are usually 93 93 percent are usually by somebody that they know typically an uncle cousin neighbor or something like that um so most of them are not orphaned like so do you have those that are orphaned that you take in and then do you provide a family for them do you have contacts that can you know help adopt them or foster them or anything like that yeah, one thing, because of the value of extended family in Malawi, even if a child is an orphan, it's it's rare for us not to be able to find a grandmother or an uncle or an aunt so, or yeah. someone that can care. And actually, in uh, a number of African countries, Malawi included, they the government just instituted this you know shutdown of all orphanages because we they just kind of said we don't want children to grow up in a in an institutional kind of structure. We want them to be you know raised in a family structure, even if it's not their parents. Um, and so we thought that there would be more cases of, you know, fostering adoption. We've had six total where we've we've found foster families uh, for girls that we just couldn't track down, you know, right. relatives or. Yeah. You know, some some crazy stories of a child headed home of a four year old, an eight year old and a 12 year old. Their mom was giving birth to what would have been their fourth child. The baby passed away. The mom passed away. The father thought it was related to witchcraft got terrified and fled and just abandoned these three children for two years they lived on their own men in the community started to realize these kids two of them the youngest the four-year-old and the 12-year-old were girls Uh, the eight-year-old was a boy and a number of men started regularly abusing these two girls and so when it was finally reported to the, the ministry of the social welfare and it got reported to us and we brought these two girls into the safe home um, we start immediately kind of trying to assess, you know, where right. w- in a year, where would these girls return to? And just no one in the community. I think the, some of the women just realized our husbands are doing these horrible things to these girls. We want nothing to do with them. We never want them to wow. come back. Maybe in 15 years when they're grown, you know, and so it would, yeah, it just ended up. Didn't blame the husbands. They blamed the kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So actually our head trauma counselor Rosalind and our administrative assistant ended up adopting these two oh, girls praise God. into their, <laughs> into their praise family. God. So yeah, we've had a few, you know, situations where we've had fostering and, and adoption, which is, you know, a, pa- a local pastor in Ponella adopt, you know, ended up uh, fostering one of our graduates. Now, do you have girls that have been through the program that are serving on staff? Not yet, because they're all like 16 and below. This year is kind of the first time where two of the girls are seniors in high school, you know, and so they're, I I do believe it is a vision of our board president where we would love to have some some of the graduates come back and work. But yeah, they're just, we're still kind of, 
uh, young enough in the organization to be working with such young, you know, the average age is 11, 12 years old, the girls yeah, that come man. in. So we thought we'd be doing voc more vocational training and kind of helping s establish businesses for these girls. And it just turns out that they just need to get back into middle school, you know, <laughs> like right. we just got to yeah. send them back home so they can continue their schooling. And it's kind of heartbreaking, but well, yeah. That's weird. actually one of my questions that I had written down here. Um, as far as returning to abuse, meaning, you know, I, I know you mentioned that uh, some of these girls are being abused in the home and they're being, you know, some of them have to get turned away back to home. Um, girls that are graduating, for lack of a better word, from the program, are you guys seeing a return to abuse? Are you seeing, you know, um, girls that are still needing uh, some type of assistance uh, after that? What's what does that look like? Yeah, great question. Um, one thing that was unexpected uh, for me is the way that, you know, we do three main things, the village evangelism, the trauma counseling safe home and the ministry with men. I was not expecting, I thought these would just always be kind of independent things. I was not expecting for our evangelism department to start partnering with our trauma counseling safe home. And so one of the first original six girls that came into our program returned home. And again, a lot of times when a girl's abused, she just kind of is seen as trash and this is all you're good for is to be abused. And so another man started harassing her and saying, I want to abuse you the same way that this, this other guy did who's been arrested. And uh, so it just kind of, the, yeah, it just kind of worked to where someone said, well, what if we go and show the passion of the Christ in this village instead of just kind of randomly selecting another village? Oh, I like that. And so, so yeah, we went, we showed the passion of the Christ, 600 people from the village came, our country director Newman gets up and just says, we heard that there's a, a man in this village that's been harassing, you know, this graduate. <laughs> Calls and, uh, him out. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't, yeah. <laughs> we don't know if he's here. We don't know if, if, if he's not here. Could someone tell him that if we hear of this continuing to happen, uh, you know, Proverbs 31 says to speak up on behalf of those who do not have a voice, defend the cause of the fatherless and the, the needy, and uh, we'll come back. And we won't bring the Jesus film next time. We'll bring the police. And he stopped harassing <laughs> her. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So it's been really cool. You know, our evangelism team will approach our counselors and just say, okay, where is a girl about to graduate? And let's go and proclaim the gospel and, and share God's heart to say, man, God's heart is for the exploited and the abused. And if we are attacking them, and exploiting them with our words, you know, socially, whatever it might be, then we're not fighting on the team of God. We're doing the work that Satan would want us to do. And so it's been really cool to kind of see those different departments complement one another. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about your, your men's ministry now. Mm. Okay. So you realize that if you didn't get to the heart of the man, you were just basically, you know, just, you, it was just going to be an open door, just girls after girls, after girls, after girls. And so, in the ministry itself, uh, the men's ministry, what are you doing um, and how are you going about trying to get men that are involved uh, to hear the gospel, obviously, and then to start dealing with the sin of their heart? Yeah, we would love for nothing more than to have to close down our trauma counseling safe home <laughs> because because men are walking in sexual integrity and they're treating women with dignity and respect and honor mm -hmm. and they're not exploiting them. And we would love for nothing more than to have no need for any girl to need to come, you know, mm -hmm. into this safe home. And so we started with seven men about three, three and a half years ago. We started discipling them and mentoring them in the gospel. And uh, after about a year and a half, slowly kind of started releasing some of these guys 
to start a group in villages surrounding the safe home. And so we just opened our seventh group three months ago mm-hmm. uh, where these men are now leading groups anywhere from 15. Our biggest group has 80 to 90 men that come weekly wow. from these villages. And, and it's cool because our evangelism team will go show the passion of the Christ We'll leave, we'll come back a month later and call all the same people together, break them up into men, women, and children, and kind of preach a targeted message to men about sexual integrity. And the vast majority of the time, they're so incredibly intrigued. Um, Malawi is a very conservative culture. It's just, you know, a topic of talking about sex is mm-hmm. not something that they've, you know, they have so many questions and they, you know, it's just like there's so many misconceptions. And so when they finally have this kind of safe environment where they can ask, you know, just it's amazing how even though how conservative they are, you think they would, you know, be very shy to talk about it. But it, it just they're like, I have a question. I have a question. You know, <laughs> can you come back next week? Like, wow. And uh, so, yeah, it's just been amazing to see just a hunger, uh, you know, not only to understand what it looks like, you know, to be uh, a good husband, a good father, right. um, but just a hunger for God's word. You know, we just open up the Bible and, and look at what what it is that God, you know. Uh, shows us, you know, those things are uh, with these men. And so it's been incredible. That is awesome. Yeah. So how did you, like, what made you think of to start that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, going back to the fast in 2009, mm-hmm. uh, where I just felt like, you know, this is what, you know, God, I believe, is leading me toward. So just a, a real quick, growing up, um, mo- let's see, how do I say this? Um I love, love my dad. We lost him about two and a half years ago, Mm. but, um, and thankfully our relationship got much better when I got about a senior in high school, but growing up, most of my childhood, I just felt like a burden to my dad. Um, yeah, I just felt like he was always just, he had planted a church, uh, when I was born, he was kind of trying to start this church. And for about three years, it just kind of floundered and then fell apart. And, uh, he, was just very emotionally burned out. Mm-hmm. A lot of my memories was just him sitting on the couch, staring at the TV, yelling at me, stop doing that or go to bed, you know, or, you know, I don't know, start like, why didn't you, you know? And so I kind of projected that onto just men in general and just felt like I was a burden to guys. And so I, you know, all through high school into college, 95% of my friends were all girls. And so when I feel the Lord calling me to, you know, disciple men, I was one of the last things I wanted to do. So I just kind of put that on the back burner. Um, and he just kind of kept bringing me back, you know, bringing me back. And uh, I think one important thing that you can do is just ask yourself what breaks your heart, but also mm, what makes you come dang, alive. That's good. It can e- you can easily focus way too heavily on, well, this breaks my heart. I need to do something about this. But I believe that God has created us to be able to do things that we love and we're passionate about yeah. and be able to see th- see healing come to the thing that breaks your heart. And so I didn't know this, that these were the answers to these two questions, but God created me to come alive by discipling men. And at the same time, I'm doing the thing that I love. I get to see men walk in sexual integrity and see the thing that breaks my heart be diminished. Mm. And so it's yeah, just a challenge I could throw out there for <laughs> everyone. Just ask, you know, ask themselves those questions. How can I do something that combines the thing that I love while seeing healing come to the thing that breaks my heart? Yeah. Just a slow <laughs> coming in. Hot. Matter of fact, in uh, in the in my book uh, Pursuit of a Godly Life, you know, when you go through Second Peter chapter one, you know, vi- uh, five through twelve, where he's talking about the virtues. Uh, um, <laughs> I just went brain dead. How did that go? Um, but anyway, he goes into 
in your diligence, apply all diligence in your faith and in your faith, uh, moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, Mm -hmm. and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And if these things are yours and increasing, they never render you useless or unfaithful are unfruitful uh, in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mm. And um, as you go through those virtues, you know, love is the very last one. Not that they're necessarily stepping stones, but they kind of are stepping stones, but we should have those virtues. And really that love, um, you know, people always say it was the, it's the agape love. Well, no, it's really the love of the lost. And if you mm. don't have, as a Christian, if you don't have a love of the lost, and it doesn't break your heart to think that somebody's going to go to hell because you're not sharing the gospel with them. Shame on you. Mm. Like that's where we ought to be with like we anybody anytime we see somebody that is downtrodden or hurting and we don't think to share the love of Jesus with them. Shame on us. Like that that ought to make you that ought to break your heart. That ought to make you cry. Like we should that should be the the first thing that's on our mind every time that we see somebody. Let me share the love of Jesus. I have hope like no matter what's going on in, you know, in the world the last two years, I, I've always, ha- I've have had hope because I have Jesus. The mm-hmm. world does not have hope. They do not have hope because they don't know Jesus. But the people that you meet in Malawi, the people that we've met in Haiti, they have hope. You know, those that are following Jesus Christ, they have hope and they don't have anything else. <laughs> that is amazing to me. Um, we have to have that kind of love for people. We have to like to share the gospel message with people. So, That's what love is. So we're in Haiti well, and we go to this grocery store because Jody and I want to stock up on Rebo coffee to come home. Best coffee in the world. The Haitian coffee. It's oh called Rebo. It's it called so Rebo. <laughs> and so when we go to the grocery store, I buy like three bags. And they give me Haitian money back. And I have no idea what to do with this Haitian money. That's the only thing I wanted to buy. And as an American, you know, I'm over there and I'm like, what am I going to do with this money? So the next day, we go to this lady's shack that we had been sponsoring. And me and Jody didn't even know that we were sponsoring the same lady through Bethany Global. So... We get to this lady's shack up on this hill, and it's literally made out of aluminum. And it's got like a queen-size bed. Steel and it's, was. Yeah, yeah, her and her three or four kids are all sleeping on one bed, and it's a dirt floor, and it got real, real fast. And this is literally the moment that God changed my whole outlook on what I was going to or what, what I wanted to do. And... Uh, so she, when we first get there, Pastor Vigenet takes us in, and first thing she wants to do is buy us a, a bottle of soda. So she, we tell her, no, 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 because she doesn't have anything. She literally goes down, gets these sodas, brings them back, hands them out to us or whatever, and I've got this money in my pocket. And the first thing that struck me about her, like he said, it was the hope in her eyes. I've never seen anything like it in my life. To this day, I've never seen anything like it. And I remember his wife, Nan, asking her, you know, what if she talked about, said something about a dream or 
And, and Nan said, Nan must have asked her, you know, what do you dream about? What's your dream? And she said, well, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, uh, another bedroom. And so I'm sitting there thinking that she's talking about someday getting in another house. That's not what she was talking about. She was talking about just having enough money or resources to put another room on that house, that shack. Mm-hmm. It was literally, I don't even know how it was staying together. And so in this moment where I'm just like, well, how can I get my American money back? I remember I walked over but into what would you she would call like this little kitchener and there was some bowls sitting there and I took that money out of my pocket and I stuck it under that bowl. Mm. And uh, I don't, you know, I'm sure she found it at some point. But um mm. I we were walking out that day and I was I was literally in tears and Pastor Vigenay he said he looked at me he said why are you crying and I said because sometimes it's it's uh you don't feel very good being from America. And he said, he stopped me and he said, do not do that. He said, just go home and he goes, he goes, poverty is spiritual. He said, just go home and do more with what you have. And that day changed my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but I look back now and I see three or four things in my life. There's a legendary story I tell, and I'm not going to tell it tonight about going out to feed some people stew. And what the Lord, I didn't even see what the Lord was trying to show me that day uh, about what he wanted me to do in my life. But being around, being around that, being in that, being able to show uh, God's love to people is the most amazing thing you can ever take part of, That's you good. know, what you're seeing on a big level. That's you good. know, now our things and our our cushy lifestyle here in America uh, robs us of joy. Um, I mean, if you did a dollar fifty a day, probably some of the best time of your life, I would assume. <laughs> right? We get we get distracted by the stuff that we have. Well, dude, my wife and I talk about that all the time. Our first year married, I was in the army, and I was making nine hundred seventy five bucks a month Ooh. in the army. This was nineteen ninety. And uh, she has a four-year degree, and she's working at the Buckle at the local mall. We were at Fort Riley, Kansas, in the middle. That's the armpit of the world, just so <laughs> you know. Not Malawi. <laughs> the, the Fort Riley, Kansas, that's the armpit of the world. And uh, we, uh, we found our, a few years ago, we found our tax. Um, I don't know why we kept the tax form, whatever it was, from 1990. Our combined income was like $14,000. Like it was and we still remember the dates that we went on, you know, because you had to save 50 bucks just to, you know, 50 bucks back then. Well, that was a that was a nice date. Like we t- I took her to. Uh, um, oh, Jimmy, is it Jimmy Chongas? Is that what it was called? It was like a it was a fancy Mexican. We thought it was a fancy Mexican. That's what it was called. <laughs> like that's, a a taco truck. <laughs> that's a taco truck, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a big big date night with us but my point is is that yeah you were like those were some of the best days of our lives you know now you go to mcdonald's with i've got four kids and that's a 50 dollar bill you know <laughs> it just kind of it just kind of it, it that it's not and that's not as fun as it was with my wife when we're having to scrape up every little dollar so so, so it, so, it uh, sounds like malawi is a peaceful country like it's not doesn't sound like it's a real dangerous country as far as like being militant or the army controlling people and stuff like that. Tell us a li- just a little bit about Malawi itself. 
Yeah, I remember reading in, uh, you know, the Lonely Planet is a, a pretty well-known travel agents, travel guide agency, uh, or yeah, just a travel guide. And uh, Malawi, one of the first things it said, Malawi is Africa for beginners. You know? Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Just a very, oh, that's great. Yeah, very peaceful history, you know, no major wars, no civil wars, anything like that. Uh, We're no longer impressed with your story, by the way, now that we know <laughs> yeah, it's nah. for beginners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And one a, a Bible verse that's been very intriguing for me that kind of sums up what, we, what we're talking about is uh, I think it's James chapter two verse five and it, it says you know do you not know that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith you know and to inherit the kingdom that He's prepared for those who love yep. Him and it's just fascinating to me that like you know like we're saying when you don't have a ton of money a lot of times money can be kind of the default thing that you run to, to fix problems. Yes. You know, if you're facing something, it's like, ah, well, I'll, you know, and not that there's anything wrong or evil, obviously about money. It's the love of money. That is the root of all kinds of evil. But you know, it's like, yeah, we we're sick. It's, oh, we'll just go to the doctor. Or we, we got, you know, an insurance thing and blah, 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 whatever it might be. We just feel like we can kind of solve a lot of problems with money in a place like Malawi where <laughs> they're living on a dollar and 25 cents a day. Uh, they don't have the luxury of being able to have money right. to solve challenges. They, their default is, God, I'm desperate for you. <laughs> if you don't come through, I don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah, pray, <laughs> pray, praying over the sick becomes a lot more important. Me and Jody went to lunch one day, and we were driving back to his house, and we were. I was joking with him. I said, you know, we were talking about a being from America and being so comfortable. Yeah. And I told him, I'm like, what if we get to heaven? And Jesus meets us at the doors and says, <laughs> you were from America? Like, you think you're getting in? Is this, what, what trials and tribulations did you go through? You know, we were just joking, but we, I mean, it's a serious question. Yeah. You know, I think it, it's your boy, uh, what's the guy that does the nighttime uh, the church, the underground church. Oh, David, uh, David uh, Platt. Yeah, he he talks about the danger of comfort. Amen. You know. Yeah. yeah so anyway, go so ahead. True. You were going to ask a question before I interrupted you. Um, so you're home for three months, four months, mm -hmm. and um, so take us through that process. Obviously, you come home to visit family and. Uh, to share your mission, and um, you're obviously going to probably do the, the tours of just trying to fundraise and all of that. So w w January, what what did you start doing as soon as you got here? Did you just breathe and take a nap and sleep for a couple <laughs> weeks, or yeah. did you hit the ground running? There was two weeks of that, definitely. Yeah, But, yeah, we have a few church partners that we get to update and I try to do my best to meet, you know, individual individually with people who are maybe monthly donors or have given, you know, one-time gifts to the ministry. Uh, obviously, you know, I can't always meet with everyone, but yeah, a big part of, you know, us being here is just being refreshed. Um, you know, especially the last couple months, uh, my wife and I have just noticed that when you just see such an influx of just uh, extreme uh, suffering, it can, you know we've noticed our heart was just getting calloused and hardened. And um, mm. we just kind of, at first, my question was, is this normal? Is this a, not even a bad thing? Is this a self-defense mechanism to protect us from being too broken so that, you know, we would be unable to continue in the ministry? And just, just felt like God looked at me and said, David, my heart never gets calloused. It breaks equally. Every single mm. time I see a daughter of mine 
be abused and I want your heart to be like my heart. And I don't want you to be scared that your heart is going to be too broken to where you can't continue. I want you to instead see that brokenness as something that can be harnessed to, to propel you further into ministry. And so coming back, I've just been asking the Lord to soften my heart before going back again. So in some ways, being here can be a bit of uh, a time of refreshment and encouragement, seeing so many people that are making, you know, in some ways, the, the ministry there possible and just thanking them, you know, lavishing love on them, being lavished with love. And so that's, you know, a, a good chunk of, of us being here in the U.S. Wow. I love your sensitivity, man, that you, your heart is soft. I mean, if your heart's not soft, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you can tell you're still, you know, you're still touched by what you're doing. Um, uh, I'm moonlight in the funeral industry. That's what I do full time. And that's a real thing, man. You see so many funerals and you just become, you know, harn I, you know, I love that you're saying harness that, you know, mm. let it propel you. That's great. I love your perspective. Mm. Yeah, Incredibly. God calls us to be light in the darkness, yeah. not light in the light. Right? Mm. So it's it's just and 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 now me just saying something halfway profound like that doesn't make it easy. But that's what we've been called to do is to be light in the darkness like he is. Mm -hmm. And so and the darkness doesn't overcome it. Amen. You know, and I think that's what he's trying to tell you is just, you know, just remember that, you know, I always use the analogy when I talk, when I say that is when, when, when a young man or woman joins a police force, like they have great intentions. They want to go, they want to, you know, seek justice for people. They want to save the world. And what happens to the few of them that end up turning bad at some point is the darkness changes them. Mm. Right. So they, they're, they're in darkness every day, and they're seeing it and seeing it. And somewhere along the lines, the darkness makes a change in their heart. It, it changes them, and they become dark. You know, so I'm going to be praying for you guys because it's got to be, I mean, sometimes you guys just have to be in the middle of that just being, why is this happening? Or, you know, just you want to just grab one of these guys and just beat the hell out of them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, that, or the other, no matter how no matter how godly you are, you know, but anyway, we just had a 15 year old girl come in into our home. If I could share one story that just recently happened, Cheryl, what you want, man. um, and, uh, yeah, her and dad was on his deathbed for about two months. The responsibility for providing for the family fell on her. A guy said, promised her a job, said, meet me here tomorrow. You know, it was right by an abandoned building, pulled her into that building, abused her. She started having these strange phenomenon things happening to her where she would just kind of almost lose control of her mind for a day or two and do very evil things. And so, you know, shortly after this, she came into our safe home. And then a couple of weeks after that, she uh, there was a school break. She returned back home and went to the police after, you know, being home with her mom. Uh, and reported our head trauma counselor for physically beating her, trying to convince other people to beat her. And uh, the police, you know, we work with the police, so they were kind of confused. It's like, are you sure, Rosalind? You know, uh, they did an investigation and found out that the mom was like, no, 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 this has been happening. It's it's unexplainable. And, you know, in a day or two, she won't even remember the things that she said. Uh, wow. And sure enough, you know, she came back into the home a couple weeks after that. Um, she took a knife. Uh, this This happened again. 
and tried to convince three other girls to stab my son, Taji, to death. And um, on Friday, you know, this was happening. We went home, and actually, I didn't hear about it until Sunday that, that she had been doing this wow. all weekend. It kind of came out slowly on Sunday. So my first reaction was, we got to kick this girl out as soon yeah. as possible. You know, Monday, we show up. I sit down in a meeting to see, you know, with the, the trauma counselor. She explains, no, this is actually something that's been happening. You know, where, yeah, like, you know, sometime either today or maybe tomorrow, she'll kind of snap out of it. And I totally saw her from Monday to Tuesday change. Wow. And uh, people started telling her, you know, you said this. You wanted to kill Taji, my year and a half year old son. Um, and uh, she was horrified. Ugh. And uh, it was just a really scary time for us. You know, I thought, <laughs> my son, you know, there's 50 girls in our safe home that fight over holding him. And so right. he just, half the time during the day, we have no idea where he is. <laughs> He's just getting passed around. <laughs> so I just thought, what if I hear my son screaming and I find him with a knife in him? you know, in a pool of his own blood. It was a very difficult uh. time. So when I heard about what had been happening with her, that it, it potentially could have been something uh, of a demonic origin, I said, okay, yeah, we'll handle this differently. We're not going to kick her out. Let's have what we call a, a revival night. We, you know, just got all the girls, a bunch of our staff together. We preached a bunch. We prayed and we just called on the name of the Lord and we worshiped. Amen. Amen. We, in, we invited girls up individually if they wanted prayer. This 15-year-old mm. girl was the first one to get up say, please pray for me. Praise God. Eight girls come up. Uh, one of our counselors, our head house mother, and I, we pull the girls one by one, pray for them for about 10 minutes. This girl, 15-year-old girl gets down on her knees. We start praying for her, and halfway through the prayer, she arches her back, and she starts going like a <coughs> And, um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, this, like, white vomity foamy stuff shoots down the front of her dress she falls over shakes for 10 seconds and just i believe gets supernaturally delivered yeah, from amen <laughs> praise god dude. holy cow and it's been months and she hasn't had one more Not episode so. that is awesome praise god yeah. that is see that's that's the kind of stuff that you know we don't see here mm. probably number one is we you know, we do, we put them in psychiatric ward and yeah. give them medicine. And, mm -hmm. you know, the next thing you know, they're, they're catatonic because of the medicine that they're taking. They're, they're never delivered of, you know, that de demonic presence. Mm -hmm. And I think we, pr if we were to really just flesh everything out and kind of clear the smoke of what happens in the United States, we would probably see a lot more mm -hmm. demonic influence than, than what we do, you know, Unfortunately, for most Americans, they're desensitized to it. I mean, you watch a movie long enough, you realize that half that stuff on there is demonic, and um, the stuff that's going on in the world today is demonic. I mean, social media is demonic. You know, I mean, you can't you can't have a good conversation on there without people just you know getting <laughs> demonic. Like it's it's crazy. So, I hear all the time from missionaries that you know, are seeing God move in supernatural ways that we don't see here in the United States. Again, we see salvations. That's very supernatural. And yeah, God bless, you know, that we do get to see that. But I think we've watered down um, what I would say the, the, the essence and the true essence of the gospel so much here in the States that we don't see see stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. we just don't see healings happen. We just don't, you know... It, even though I've seen them, don't get me wrong. I mean, I see healings happen, but not like where God just walks in and just 
wipes everybody. Like it just he just heals everybody all at <laughs> once, you know, kind of deal. And even for that moment, for a 15 year old girl to know that she needed prayer mm-hmm. and know that she felt the presence of God in a revival that you're having with mm-hmm. other kids. That's God. Like that is just the presence of the Holy Spirit showing up and showing off, and He gets the glory because that's what y'all are, y'all are bringing those people to. That's beautiful. People I ask, all, people ask all the time, why did God do all this? It's to show us what love is. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. That's what this thing is all about. That's awesome. Love, loving people, and 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 love heals everything. It heals the heart. It heals the mind. It heals the soul, and that's that's what that's what this whole thing is about. Yeah. If someone asked me, I don't understand why did God do all this. I would tell them, it's to show you what love is. Amen. God is love. It's not something he does. He is. I'm majorly convicted right now. That was the Holy Spirit there because what you said was my first thought was to kick her out. Mm. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've done that with guys that just don't get it. Oh, you're a kicker-outer, dude. Holy (laughs) You're a kicker-outer. I'm serious. Like, you need to repent. You You need prayer? Yeah, I do need prayer. Okay, let's try to get some white foam coming (laughs) out of his mouth. I need some prayer. But I'm serious. Like, you just give give up on them. Like, you, you can just see this blank look you know and i tell this story all the time but um i don't know if you've ever seen pink floyd the wall the movie have you ever seen that yeah you've seen you've ever seen pink floyd it's an older movie it's probably 70s early 80s uh when it was made and i used to be a huge pink floyd fan and he's never even heard of pink floyd (laughs) (laughs) it's a guy who wears a pink shirt (laughs) no (laughs) but the, the, this movie there's this one point in the, it, it's a stupid movie don't don't you know don't even go watch it but there's this one point in the movie where this little kid uh, it's a, another brick in the wall is one of the, the songs and it's about a kid singing about how the school system is all messed up and all this kind of stuff but he's standing at the at a on a train track and this train goes by and he's just looking up you know kind of looking up at it and all of a sudden all of these faces turn around and it's just like these white masks no eyeballs no mouth no nothing it's just like a almost like a hockey mask but with nothing on it um so many times that i'm talking to to men or sometimes it feels like to the church or to a conference or something like that i'm looking out there and i just see these white faces you know just like they that they're not getting it like they're not getting what the true essence of the gospel is. It's not just about coming and sitting in church. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's just not about, you know, repent. It's about all of these things combined with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And to go out and to take care of the least of these widows and orphans, undefiled religion. That's where you need to, that's where we all need to be. And um, it breaks my heart that more Americans, more people who have the finances, more people that have the resources, more people that have the, the knowledge and the expertise are not doing the things that you're doing. And I, I appreciate you stepping out um, bold, boldly. Like, that's that's not – you didn't just step out and talk to your neighbor. You stepped out <laughs> and went across the, the world to, to do that in a place that you had no clue about. And um, that's awesome. So we've got a few more minutes. Is there anything that you want our audience to know? Like, um, you know, what's your vision for the the future? Uh, Make sure that you give us your website. Uh, Where are you with donations? What do you need um, with all of that? So 
uh, as you prepare to leave in May. I mean, in a few weeks. Yeah. With a pregnant wife and a one and a half year old. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me let me share one more story that's been messing with me. Um, let's see. I was the second week that I was back in February. Uh, I have a some friends at a African refugee church in St. Louis. They yeah. invited me to come and preach. And uh, you know, I got to preach. There's Burundian and Congolese refugees, you know, maybe 40, 50 in a room. I'm walking off the stage to, toward my wife, and she's talking with an elderly woman. And as I get close, she turns kind of bewildered and looks at me, and she says, this woman says that she met you in Malawi eight years ago. I said, really? And so she's like, yeah, you know, she's talking really fast in Swahili. My wife obviously, you know, speaks Swahili being from Kenya. And um, she says, yeah, it sounds like she said you prayed for her granddaughter or something. I said, And then it clicked, and I remembered. I was walking through the biggest refugee camp in Malawi uh, called Zaleka, 80,000 people, and I uh, was with a pastor. Um, and this woman comes into the, the mud road and says, can you please pray for my granddaughter? So I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, go, go to this mud hut. She pulls her shirt up on her side, and she has what I think is a hernia, just kind of a bulge. And they're like, it's been getting worse over the last couple months. She's in a ton of pain. It's like, well, we'll pray for her, you know. Um, I'm not sure, you know, uh, what else we could do. But just prayed for her. I didn't notice any change. I was like, we were on our way to a meeting. I said, I got to run. Um, and I hope you find someone that can help. And so I left. And from, you know, again, from what I saw, nothing had changed. Nothing, right. So I asked this woman, how, how is she doing? You know, is she okay? And, she, and again, the chances of this woman being in St. Louis, winning this lottery to leave a refugee camp in Malawi right, as a exactly. Burundian and be in, in St. Louis, Louis yes. at a church that I happen to preach at is mind-boggling boggling already. She's like, my granddaughter's here. She walks in the room. She's oh twice the size. She said, that night I laid her down in bed. And I, and I looked at her stomach and the lump was gone. Oh my gosh, she was dude. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I was like, I could have lived my whole life never knowing that that happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. And how many times do we potentially, not that a physical miracle is the only form of an answer, but how many times do we pray thinking that nothing happened and oh, we have no idea. Man, we, we'll awesome. get to heaven and just, you know, <laughs> hear about dozens of things like that. That is awesome. <laughs> Praise yeah, God. Awesome. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, we, you know. Win the Saints, W H E N, winthesaints.com, you know, is our website. We do have an hour long documentary that is free on YouTube. If you type in, you know, Win the Saints, the documentary, you should be able to find that. It's on Amazon uh, Prime as well. So we'll post that on our comments. Yeah. That oh, way, cool. um, we've got uh, 880,000 followers on, <laughs> on Man Up. So uh, they'll all get to see that and uh, we'll see how, see how that does. That is good. Yeah, and so good. right now we've, yeah, if, if anyone, you know, is led to donate, we're building dorm number four. We've raised 29% of what we need. Uh, so we've, we've started construction, but we, you know, are still trying to fundraise. We love, you know, monthly donations, obviously, on our website. You can set that up. Uh, but even more than, honestly, financial partnerships is just we really hunger for prayer. Amen. Prayer support. Uh, we just really believe that prayer not only changes things, but it changes us. And uh, so I would love to just kind of leave one encouragement uh, for, you know, us guys out there that might be listening. Um, our theme verse is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, all twos. It's real easy. Mm -hmm. And it just talks about three different types of running. 
one, to flee the sexual morality of our youth. Run mm-hmm. away from that, you know? It's behind you, but if you just live your whole life looking back, running away from stuff, you're gonna run into stuff. So then it also says run towards faithfulness and righteousness, you know, there's wonderful things. And Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus just says that, uh, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if that's not enough of an incredible motivation to say, I want to have a pure heart because I want to see God run toward this incredible blessing of your Savior, <laughs> you know, Amen. your Savior's face. But then it also says run alongside of others who call on the name of Jesus. So I would just encourage you if you're wrestling with pornography, you know, if it's something you've tried to get freedom from, is if it's something you've never even <laughs> tried or considered, you know, living a life of freedom, I just want you to know that it is possible. Yes, and try amen. as hard as you can. And amen. you're going to fail 100% of the time, but you'll realize that you can't free yourself, you can't heal yourself, you can't save yourself or cleanse yourself, but there is someone that can. And the more you fail, the more amen. closer you get to just falling on your face and saying, Jesus, I'm more desperate for you than I ever could have realized. Will you please set me free? Will you please deliver me? Praise God. (laughs) And I hope that you meet him. I hope you see how good he is. (laughs) That would be the gospel. Amen. Amen, brother. God bless you, man. Absolutely. And I... You rocked my socks off today. Yeah, like, dude, you you know, seriously. you come in a minute after the <laughs> podcast starts. You know just killed it. Just killed it, dude. Gosh. Got man. me sitting here being like, What am I doing with my life, bro? Like, what is it about me that God doesn't use me in that way? You know, I'm, do, I'm you, do you remember the old Saturday night skit where is um have you ever do do it's the skit called Have You Ever? The, it, the, it was an old skit back in the 80s. Like, have you ever tried to oh, take yeah, yeah, staple, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. staple bologna to your face? Yeah, yeah. Man, I hate <laughs> it when yeah. that happens. Yeah, you yeah. could answer yes <laughs> to like most of those. <laughs> like, right? Have you ever taken a cheese grater up and down your tongue? Yeah, yeah. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I like, I mean, it's I just feel like that's, dude. you know, that's about all I got going on for my life. I've taken baloney and stapling it to my face <laughs> just pack it up this is our last episode yeah exactly we, we're, we're moving to malawi we're gonna <laughs> that's right take off so man david you have been a blessing and um we will be praying for you and your wife